0: Welcome to another episode of Keeping It Rail. While you listen to this podcast and think about the topics we'll explore, remember that the areas you're moving into are always most important. Always prepare for what you're about to do and always know what's happening while you're doing it. That's how you move to protect others and yourself. Now from headquarters, here's our host, Jason Francis.
1: All right, welcome to another episode of Keeping It Rail. Who do we got with us today, Travis? Our leader of technology is back on the show, John Poppy. I was not the host when you were here last time. I listened to the episode though, and you brought up a lot of interesting stuff. I mean, as a former driver, I was glued to it, especially when they started talking about the in-cab technology. There was rumors of a tablet being tested, and all of us drivers want to know more about it because, I don't know, I'm not a big fan of the current system. Especially the touch, right? Yeah. I hear a lot about that. Well, those rumors are
2: are real. Um, we are working hard. Uh, in fact, it's kind of funny, I brought one with me today, and I thought, boy, everybody listening, right, is, uh, is not going to be able to appreciate... But, uh, but I did bring one for you guys to kind of see what it looks like here. And uh, so, what I'm passing around for everybody that's listening to the podcast is kind of our, our current version of the new tablet that we're co developing uh, this on. And it's a, it's a super nice 10 inch screen, um, kind of mounts right in interior to the dash. So, it's got a really great line of sight, really great touch sensitivity. Um, and, and it's a huge screen, right? So from a navigation perspective, and all the work that everybody's doing uh, with the tablets today, uh, or with our in cab technology that we use today, I think they're going to find this is a really great experience for them. Um, we're going to start testing this current version here, um, probably next week. In a few weeks. Next trucks. week? That
1: soon already? Yeah. Fantastic.
2: And you know we've been working hard on this. You know, there's a lot that goes into the technology here, right? From board design to software that we're laying around top of it even little details like okay what is the what does the cradle look like we worked really hard to make it just a one-hand operation where all you have to do really is reach and just grab the tablet and it disconnects from everything and seating as into the cradle is just as easy and we put a lot of thought into all the ergonomic aspects as well Again, we, we find a lot of value in doing an, uh, our own innovation because we think we can give the best solutions to our drivers um, rather than just buying a commercial off the shelf market in the, that's available in the market today.
0: It's awesome. I was just clicking on it, and the touch sensitivity is nice. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's pretty nice.
1: I was afraid to click on it. I'm not very tech savvy. I had to do that because <laughs> you, can't, you can't break this one. So you know.
0: that's one of the biggest things I hear about our current, the old, you know, the device we've been right. using is the touch and that is nice yeah what i just touched yeah and it's it's a much bigger screen
2: and i think the the other really great thing about this is where it's mounted so today you know they're mounted on a on a on a mount that's down and to the right of the driver right so your line of sight you have to look down a little bit and this is going to be right in that b panel of the dash which is just part of that right to the right of the gauge cluster there's a a blank spot. There's nothing there, and that's where this is going to mount. So it's just going to be really super nice in terms of just glancing down, and you can see see what information it's telling you, and you can glance up again. So should be uh, should be a really good experience. We're super excited. We know everybody's waiting for them, and we just want to make sure that we're working out all the obvious bugs before we start uh, start deploying them. But it's getting close. We're getting we're all getting excited. It's been a long. It's been a long project and my team's been really focused uh, on working knew, through this with the manufacturer. I knew you were
1: testing another version of it a while back, right? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, the um, it's kind of interesting. We probably should put these prototypes in a museum or something, kind of how they've evolved from um, a similar sized tablet that had kind of a sliding cradle to where we've evolved to now, which is really a completely different design. But we learned a lot through that process and... Uh, yeah, so we're we're excited about taking the next steps with this for sure, and I'm sure all of our our drivers are as well.
0: Oh yeah, it's a tool, man. That who, yeah. who does it, who wants a tool that's not working to its right. maximum, right?
2: And so. in, in our technology today, it's just you know, it's just it's dated. You know, it's it's served us well, but it's been in our cabs for seven or eight years, and it's just really time to update that. And we're excited to be able to bring that to the drivers.
1: I am the farthest thing from a computer guy. Um, but I'm assuming this does everything that the current system does and much more. right?
2: Yeah, I mean our first objective is to get the hardware refreshed, right? So I think that's what everybody's gonna experience is some of the value of being able to take the tablet. and if you get you know if you' if you're at a roadside stop and, and somebody asks to see your logs, you can simply just grab this and hand it right out the window.
1: So no more going to your phone,
2: right. right. So that's that's an immediate, obvious thing. You know, the experience of using it, to Travis's points, the touch and the the screen size and the visibility, and the mounting, all those things are probably some of the core things. Um, but what this does, and that's really our first focus, is get this in, to get the hardware refreshed in the trucks as soon as we can, and then we can layer on top some cool stuff. But we're not worried about that extra, those extra software things, until we get all the hardware first in the trucks. So I'll
0: put that's the horse our first before the cart.
2: Yeah, but there's certainly been a lot of discussion around, hey, we could do this or We could do that. Um, This is going to give us the opportunity to write our own custom apps so we can do, you know, we get so much. I'm going to give a a shameless plug for our uh, our feedback feature in the MyRail app. But there is we get so many great ideas from our drivers who say, hey, here's an idea in the future if the app could do this or if we could have visibility to this data or, you know, this this information and every one of those comes to my inbox as well as a lot of people on my team and so we've been collecting those ideas and suggestions and some of those things are really great and well suited for the new tablet so once we get that deployed we can start to talk about some of those things so um i guess just a shout out to all of our drivers if if you have some ideas about boy it'd be really great if i could get this on my in cab the new in cab tablet you know send that to us through the my my feedback feature in the my rail app and uh and that certainly will get some visibility and we'll take that into consideration. There's been just a, a ton of good ideas that we've gotten
1: so far. That's really cool that you guys actually listen to the suggestion box, I love that.
2: Yeah, I mean, a lot of companies, that is kind of the black hole, right? Mm-hmm. Where, where you kind of <laughs> wonder when you drop that paper note, does anybody ever really read that? And that is just one of the most powerful things. I mean, the MyRail app does a lot of great stuff, no doubt. But that suggestion box feature every single one of those, the minute that you hit submit, it is automatically coming into inboxes all over the company and getting good visibility. Not to mention that it gets somebody's personal attention who looks at it, makes sure that the leader, the VP or president of that certain area that that suggestion relates to, that they get visibility to that specific suggestion and gets feedback from them. Oftentimes we'll pass that back on but we try to almost 100% of the time give some type of feedback back to the individual who put that suggestion in to say, hey, here's what I learned or here's what we can do. Um, and, we, you know, there's some things we can't address every single suggestion. Sometimes it's, it's collected. And, and so the next time we work on that specific thing, we take that feedback into, sugge- into consideration. But, man, that's a super powerful tool that is at everyone's fingertips to give their 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 suggestions to make rail a, a better company or to make the experience the drivers are having better so um i've never seen an organization embrace feedback as well as we do so it's uh it's definitely something that i would recommend and encourage people to use
1: right on. um from the driver point of view the biggest complaint that i hear every day um, is the Copilot. Are there any future improvements on that navigation system?
2: Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, so, Copilot, I'll give you guys 20 seconds on this. So, Copilot <laughs> is really runs commercially in two different environments the Windows environment and then the Android environment. And today, all of our NCAB units have a core Windows based operating system, so we're running on Copilot for Windows. Um, but that is probably definitely kind of a dying out, right? So there's not as much effort focused by the supplying the, the technology supplier to really continue to update that environment. So we know that by moving to these new tablets, which is an Android-based operating system, we are going to get the latest and greatest versions of Copilot, which has the most fixes and the most effort in terms of new features and functionality. So... I think everybody is going to benefit in terms of just some of the things that can be kind of frustrating. I think you're going to see some of those things be addressed once we move to the tablets just because we can run on the Android version.
1: I hope so. There's, there's, I I had it in the truck when I was out there. I mean, I'm I'm a little older and it was I was I was driving long before the co-pilot came out mm-hmm. to the trucks at all. But it's a fantastic tool when you learn how to use it. But it is not the most user-friendly system as it sits. Yeah. So. Well, and I and I know that we message, you know, to our rail drivers, but to any driver that's
2: listening to this podcast, I mean, the risks of using a non-truck focused routing package mm-hmm. is just very dangerous, right? And there's such a a temptation to pull up, you know, Google Maps and 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 start to use that, and that is just very. It's going to cause safety issues, right? You're going to find yourself in bad spots because it doesn't care about bridge height or, you know, a bridge weight limits or, you know, all those issues. And, and you know, Copilot is really designed around truck-safe routing, right? And it knows the truck-approved routes. Um, there is, you know, as I've, sp- I've spent in this industry for 10 years, one of the things I can say is routing is, is tough, Right. And it's tough, primarily because of the data available out there, and the routing packages can only be as good as the data that it it gets from all these different, you know, states and counties and local municipalities. So, as changes happen, I think as a country, we don't have a really good system for, and we don't require all that stuff to be communicated up to a central database. So, the information is sometimes just out of date. And it's because, you know, this township or this county decided that they were going to change the weight limit and they just never told anybody. So our system thinks it's completely fine because that's the latest piece of information it knows. So it's just making the best decision it can make. Um, so you have that situation, certainly. Uh, so the data quality is a big, is a big challenge. Um, and I don't think anybody's got a good solution for that.
0: Well, Rand McNally paper map, Double check.
2: Yeah, I mean, certainly trip planning is a big part of that, right? And knowing where you're going and double checking what what electronic route you're getting is is certainly that's a great call, Travis. Um, but I think I think the data quality is one of the challenges that any electronic system has right now. Sure. Um, with that, and then um, you know we've we recently put together some. I guess that's one complexity, and the other complexity that I think um, is probably. Behind the curtains, you know, that happens is we put a lot of, there's a lot of um, decisions that our software systems make when we're putting a route together for a driver. Um, And a lot of it is, you know, some of the elements, I guess I should say, are how many gallons of fuel is in that truck, where is that driver going, um, how many more gallons should they take, where's the best fuel price for the organization, and kind of molding that all into a really uh, an effective route that's a win for the driver and it's also a cost effective route for the organization to, to send to that driver. Um, so we're trying to take all those different factors into consideration and, um, and, and so you so end up putting these, what's called a waypoint, right, along the route so that we kind of shape that route and sometimes those waypoints can cause some funky routing behavior. And we've recently put a, a fix in that we worked really hard with our uh, third-party technology provider to, to implement. And I'm hoping that drivers have noticed that because it should take some of this sometimes strange behavior um, where it might want you to route off and then route back on. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, what was the point of that? And um, that stuff really should have smoothed out here within the last couple months. So I'm hoping that, that everybody sees and experiences that that better that better routing experience. I hope so too. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely something we work we work hard on, and uh, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of effort that goes into making sure that we're providing safe and and quality routes. Um, and I know that uh, we also look at our route feedback as well. So I think everybody gets these route surveys at the end of each route, and. Um, When there is feedback, it gets a lot of attention. We look at, does that, you know, is there something we can do to make that better or safer? Um, And sometimes there's a specific legitimate reason why we want a certain, you know, we want a driver to take a specific road or roadway. Um, But sometimes there's some really good feedback too that it's like, yeah, we can make that change. That makes sense. And and that will be incorporated into future routes.
0: It's worth talking about, right? At least with fleet management or sending it in through the app.
2: Yeah. For sure.
0: You know, the other thing that really surprises
2: me, you got me on the routing soapbox here, but the other thing that really surprises me is what the routing experience must be for drivers outside of rail um, because we are continually pushing our software, third-party software providers for these fixes that our drivers are letting us know about. And the message we get often is, huh, nobody else has said anything about that. And and I, it, after hearing that over and over again, it just makes me feel like we just expect our software to perform a lot better than what a lot of other carriers expect out of routing software, and I think that just kind of holds true to us trying to provide the best routing experience for our drivers, where other companies just, and I'm not saying every company, but just a lot of other ones just seem like they aren't they aren't pushing for improvements and and we really do push hard for improvements. And I think um, one of our software providers last week said, you know, you're the only company that we meet with on a weekly basis to talk about issues and fixes. And he said, we don't even talk to any of our other customers, not even once every six months. And we're on the phone with them every week. So we do really raise the bar in terms of trying to bring improvements.
0: Yeah, now you got this hardware improvement coming in, along with all that activity yeah. as you guys keep moving forward.
1: Fantastic. So, you mentioned when you came down here, you you said something about AI. Um, other than the fact that that stands for artificial intelligence, how does that relate to the trucking business? I have no idea what this is about.
2: Everybody is has their chat AI engines that they're releasing right now, and it's every day there's a new headline about a new tech company that's releasing because everybody's trying to catch up and and be competitive. But what really has happened um, within the artificial intelligence community is that these natural language engines have now allowed you to just speak, right? And because you ask it a question or type it a question, it can interpret and then it can process and, and give you answers back. And these AI engines have access, a lot of them have access to all the information out there on the internet. So as they've you know, compiled and indexed and learned about all these different things and, and assembled it, you can ask it verbal questions or type of questions and it will respond based on what it's learned out there. So um, so there's just a lot of buzz around, okay, well, as, org, as a company, how, how can each company or, or industry leverage this power to make quicker decisions, automate processes, RAIL and, and I think a lot of organizations. In fact, I was just down in Milwaukee at a, at a conference with a lot of tech leaders from all the big organizations based in Milwaukee, or based in Wisconsin, I should say. And I think everybody is just kind of watching. You know, nobody's really using it for anything um, concrete right now. Uh, I think one good example that I, that I heard that actually is being used it was a manufacturer that makes a lot of home electronics. And, you know, they figured out that, hey, we can load all of our repair manuals, right, for every appliance that we've ever made. So you're looking at millions of pages, probably of repair manuals, and load them so that when repair, folks go, repair technicians go to the house, they can simply ask questions. And it will say, well, hey, you know, here's the top three matches for what you just asked. Um, based on this model and everything else, so I thought that was pretty pretty reasonable use for that. Um, but I think aside from that, every other organization that I've talked to is simply just going, "Boy, I don't know. We're we're trying to learn more about it, and and certainly there's a lot of concern about it making, you know, providing correct answers. So
0: yeah, garbage you know, in, garbage out. Yeah, Good I mean, there's always out.
2: funny jokes around. I mean, you can find them; they're everywhere on the internet about different responses that AI has said to questions, right? That don't make any sense at all. And I think that's just an example of how it's a very immature technology right now. And to your point, Travis, it's it's only as smart as what it's told. So if it reads bad information or if it learns bad information, it's gonna it doesn't have the ability to reason that out and say that's not logical. That's what all these big technology companies are trying to solve now is how do we make this safe, right? And reliable and trustworthy? I mean, it's a really powerful technology, but now it's
0: how do you harness it? It's like a human, really, a human body, a machine, because we're calling organic machines. So now we're just kind of creating this metal, you know, synthetic thing that's, it, it, you know, with consciousness and all the data. It's almost like a human we're creating. Yeah.
2: I mean, technology is, uh, evolving at just kind of a, an incredible speed right now. Um, I think the one thing I was at a conference here earlier this year, and I think you know they said that the rate of AI you know, and that whole technology is going to outpace our ability just to process, you know the compute power that's available in the world today. Just it's going to hit a glass ceiling. More well, than quantum
0: will come in. It's
2: going to consume everything. Yeah, I think that's a big reason why Microsoft is actually building a big data center here. I don't know if you guys read about that, but um, kind of in southern in southern Wisconsin, they're they're putting up a huge data center, and that's just to help. And that's just one of many to help satisfy the need for compute power here in the next decade.
0: When we're moving into the age of decentralization, where everybody's device will play a role in computing, you know, like shared computing amongst all the different devices.
2: I'm just taking a a sit back and observe approach and just kind of watching what's going on. And I think as a company, that's what we're doing right now is just kind of watching this technology evolve and, and keep learning about it. You know, we, we want to make sure we're aware of what's out there.
0: I could see us doing, like, a closed AI as opposed to open AI. So just internal access, like driver g- reference guide, uh, non-driver reference guide, uh, policies, procedures, all that stuff, right? Just right. like you mentioned that company put all their uh, instruction manuals. Right. Yeah. One, one of the areas um, that it's getting a lot of
2: use right now, and a lot of companies are using this as an entryway, is contract reviews. So, um you know the AI engines for contract reviews are, are really good so it can you know within seconds go through a contract you know that might be let's say 80 pages long and just highlight highlight all the areas and make suggestions and say this is typically not what rail likes rail likes to have this verbiage here and and this is an area that typically we don't agree with so strike that and it can do that automated contract review and send out a you know create a a draft of a new contract that can be then sent to the customer, and that can all be automated through AI, and that makes it really fast and efficient. So, that's, that's one example
1: of. There's it. a good use for it, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: So that's one area that you see a lot of companies uh, doing that. I know Walmart talked about really moving into that space with their contracts, um, just because it's it's a very efficient and consistent, um, you know, way to pull your contracts together and. Um, yes, yeah, so it's kind of interesting, uh, especially when you have a customer doing AI for contracts and and the carrier doing AI for contracts. It's just two AI technologies working back and forth to you know, sure. iron out the. Hopefully the they get the it contract. straight, man. Yeah, Hopefully they-, right? <laughs> Hopefully they agree, right? At some point, because <laughs> be, it's all messed up. Yeah. <laughs>
1: it is So along with all this artificial intelligence and technology that's coming in you have uh, more and more potential for problems which is the bad guy sneaking in and 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 interrupting our systems i can say
2: that um you know it is the number one agenda item on every i.t department's list right whether it's rail any of our customers, any of our competitors. Um, We've seen several of our direct competitors and customers have major outages um, because of of breaches. And, um, you know, the risk is real and it's serious. And we've taken a ton of steps, you know, since I've been part of rail to strengthen and that velocity and focus every year just seems like it doubles, right? because the amount of risk and the implications of not addressing those risks just continues to grow and grow and grow. So more and more of our IT time is being spent on security related topics, whether it's you know strengthening our external defenses, um, training our users um, on how to operate the technology in a safe way, um, identifying phishing scams or texting scams and anything that could compromise, you know, strengthening how we log into our systems. I mean, that's just um, that's just the external perimeter stuff. And then every organization has those internal things that are, you know, all the software that you run, you know, and and all the security layers that you should have in place around those. And every organization is kind of grappling with, okay, well, it's great, you know, if you have a bulletproof you know wall around your company but the minute that somebody you know clicks on that one malicious email and open the th- gate that opens the door once once a bad actor is inside your environment that's a whole nother situation and and every organization is working to figure out how they can minimize exposure and risk and deal with those things effectively and rail is right in there with everybody putting a ton of effort into that and and just trying to you know strengthen our our position as as much as we can um, but it is really it really takes a lot of time and a lot of effort away from other other initiatives but it's the right thing to work on but it does take a lot of energy and effort
0: well you guys are doing a fine job at sending out those test uh phishing emails to make sure everybody's on top of their game Yes, uh, I mean yeah. I'm them, at the point where were kind of funny <laughs> I'm at the point where if I get an email with some attachments from somebody I know I'm getting it from, I just haven't developed trust with that person right. i'll I'll connect with you guys and have yeah. you make sure it's good. It's always better
2: off to ask you know we would much rather spend 10 minutes looking at something and investigating and saying, yeah, this is safe to open than having somebody not be sure and risk risk it and just click on it and then you know, the implications of that could be tremendous. So we really try to, to minimize and, and put ourselves in the best position to, A, prevent, and then, B, respond if if a situation occurs, you know, making sure we're responding in a way that minimizes things. But yeah. it's, uh, you know, that is, that is the, you know, if you said, hey, John, if you go to any IT conference, what are the two top top topics? I'm going to tell you security followed by AI. Those are the the two things that just dominate um, every technology meeting or conference I go to outside of rail.
0: So we need AI that is security, security AI.
2: Oh, and that's there, and that exists, and there's a lot of AI based tools out there right now that are are being implemented to try and speed the response or be smarter to help detect things earlier in the you know in that risk process.
0: And really. Uh, separate uh something that is malicious from something that isn't because i've seen stuff get labeled as malicious that wasn't malicious so there's there's something with that whole separation that needs improvement too right
2: yeah i mean um it's not perfect i will tell you that um you know some of the ways that people used to detect um phishing messages just was by how they were written right folks who have bad intentions are now using ai to write really good phishing messages that just read perfectly
1: so i was gonna say we watch those training videos and they always say watch out for misspellings and and watch out for if it just doesn't sound right i was like why can't a bad guy take the time and write it properly right (laughs) well the email
0: address where it's coming
2: from yeah i mean some of those are kind of obvious but the body of the emails now now with ai there, there is just a, it's just a big focus for us, and uh, I think for everybody listening to the podcast, which I know is is a, a large group of our drivers. I mean, there is just a huge effort that's put in here every day to keep everyone's information safe, keep our organization operating, um, and um, it's it's a big focus for us. We do not take it lightly at all, and uh, it's just a, a consistent drumbeat of improvements and changes and. I know sometimes some of our, our users feel like, boy, it's another I have to sign in again or I have to authenticate again or I have push to push notification. This. I mean all those things, but they're all they're all just to keep us safe. You know, well well it's, it's like an
0: offensive line and a defensive line, right?
2: Yeah, a little bit. The yeah, attacker wants right.
0: to get that information, that quarterback. Right. Yeah. So we keep throwing blockers in there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. Close the it's gaps. Crazy. It's yeah. always
1: happening. The game's always on. Right. It's a it's a great analogy. I don't know where you come up with them, Travis, but it's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 But uh, yeah, so that the security game is, uh, it's
2: just uh, it's a back and forth, and we uh, but we definitely put a ton of time and effort into it, and um, just like any other responsible organization.
0: John, I got a good question for you. Should I always trust an email from a trusted person?
2: If one of our customers has their email system um, breached and a bad actor sends an email, right, because they can look at the email and say, oh, I, I can see that, you know, this individual's email account that I now control sends email to Bob Smith at rail consistently I can send an email to Bob Smith with with a bad attachment and it's going to be trusted because Bob Smith always gets email from me and therefore it's a, it's a really smooth way for them to kind of sneak an email in. And, and Bob, in this example, this fake example, Bob trusts the emails because they always get it from this individual. So then, and they're used to getting attachments. So that just kind of lowers the whole, you know... Um, you know how somebody would would inspect these messages or think about them, and then that's just an easy entry point so that so that is uh, that is a real risk out there we've We work really hard speaking about rails specifically to put controls around our email system so that that is a very low likelihood of happening, but we can't control the people that send us messages you know and if those organizations get compromised so. So that is definitely uh, something that we were on the watch out for.
1: So I think we covered most everything that we set out to cover. Is there anything else you want to bring up?
2: You know, rail is one of the most innovative, focused organizations I've ever worked for. You know, so we, we really put a lot of effort into building systems that, you know, give every employee the best experience and make us very competitive in our in our market. You know, one of the things that we released here just recently was our maintenance system, right? So um, a good example, a lot of our competitors. Yeah, Chris, Chris Anderson was telling us about that. Yeah, so a lot of our competitors, you know, purchase a software package, and, and that's what they run on. Yeah, you know, we made the strategic decision to build our own, and that was a big adventure for us, a big investment, a lot of time. Um, but we believe that, you know, we can service our drivers better. Um, and give a better experience to our maintenance techs and everybody that works in maintenance by designing a system specifically for how we operate as an organization. And we know that we run a world-class maintenance organization that, you know, that turns trucks around faster than any of our competitors in terms of repairs for our drivers and things like that. And we needed a system that supported that, you know, that result. So that's just a good example of us putting our technology horsepower that we have here, and we have a fantastic technology team um, that I get the privilege of working with every day. But putting that to work to, uh, to create a system that really runs like we want uh, to run. And that's just a really unique situation for rail that you know it really differentiates us from a lot of our competition is the fact that we really still we really focus on the, the build versus buy, because we can really shape our destiny and create a system that works like we want it to work.
0: And we're operating in a competitive market, especially during recent times. Right. Uh, so we have to be efficient.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it, and, uh, and that's kind of the name of the game. And we, like every week, you know, we are getting these great suggestions from our business leaders and our, different folks in the different departments around ways that we can further optimize, right? The technology to be quicker and faster and more, more accurate. And, um, you know, the amount of, of ideas and suggestions is, is probably north of 800 that we've got kind of in our queue right now for, for consideration. So, um, so a lot of great ideas. And the the cool thing about rail and what I, I always love about rail is just kind of that, excitement around technology. I think everybody here leverages technology to do their job as good as they possibly can do it. And and they really value the technology assets we have as an organization. And uh, that makes my job a lot of fun because um, everybody embraces right and uses what we create uh, to the fullest. So that, that makes it a lot of fun.
0: And we all notice it when the power goes out. hopefully that doesn't happen often but
2: yeah no i don't think we've uh, knock on wood had that happen very often
1: i do like the quietness of it all yeah but what the heck do i do uh, the
2: keyboard clicking stops
1: no i gotta tell you um i i kind of missed the whole computer generation thing computers were just starting when i was in high school we had the apple 2e I think is what it was. Green screen, the, the most The most important thing on that was the Oregon Trail game, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And when you did type out something, is on a floppy disk. You had to about, have about 17 of them to write two chapters of a book. And uh, then it printed out in big block letters on this green-striped paper. I was like, this is never going to catch on. I don't, I don't want nothing to do with it. And then I went out driving in a truck, and I didn't have to do anything with it because... It was the early '90s and every you know we didn't even have cell phones yet at that point. Paper you know? and pay phones. we had a paper logbook, we'd stop at a pay phone. I, I know I'm dating myself, but I was, <laughs> but all this stuff was going on in the background while I was out driving around the country, completely ignoring it and, and it and, creeped up on you and then all of a sudden, boom, everything's on a computer, even your dang phone is a computer, and I was no. I put off getting a smartphone longer than anybody yeah. I know. <laughs>
2: Well, so my uh, my first computer story, I was I think I was in the fourth grade. I was the kid who got to set up the computer, which maybe that's what, who knows? Maybe that launched my technology career without even knowing. But I remember it being a Radio Shack, Tandy, whatever model it was. But the work that you stored on there, the you would save it on a cassette tape, so it was connected to a old time cassette recorder, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's that was the recording medium for. The data that you were creating on that computer, so it was pretty. Uh, it was pretty impressive when you're in fourth grade and never seen a computer before. But if you look at where we've evolved, right, this the phone I'm carrying around probably has a thousand times the compute power that that whole computer had back then.
1: I I've always heard people tell me that your average smartphone has more technology in it than the NASA moon landing. Probably. <laughs> I haven't
2: heard that comparison, but uh, it is, it's is—it's amazing. Like know, I said, I have no, no basis yeah. in fact
1: or anything. It's yeah. just, some, just rumors <laughs> that I've heard.
0: Your cassette tape, so was it doing like the, the whistle hums?
2: I just remember it, that being the storage medium, but exactly how it worked back then I probably didn't even pay attention to. It. I just thought it was so cool that... I could store data, you know, on that cassette tape, and uh, it was
0: probably the hums or you yeah. know the 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 internet sounds, you know, the f- dial-up kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, that really would low. that would definitely make sense. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm that's yeah. what I went to right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I have no idea. Computer language, Captain Crunch, check it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a could little be, whistle. It
2: could be homework for everybody listening to the podcast, uh-huh. right? Go I check think that I got out. that right. Yeah. Let me Google that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know we uh, got to know you the first time you were on here. Um, we don't need to go into your entire personal life, but when you're not at rail, I'm sure you do other things. Any grand adventures you've had recently, or travel plans, or you know, I have. Uh, I am very excited about the ski season
2: again. Right, so we live in snow country, so I embrace that and do a lot of downhill skiing and snowboarding. So that opening day is December first here, and we're excited about that. December first at uh, Rib Mountain. Yeah, at
1: Granite Peak there. So they were open earlier last year.
2: They were. The weather was a little more cooperative, um, but they've been making snow like crazy. I gotta, I you gotta, love skiing, man. I, I got one of those.
1: I got one of those Facebook memory things. You know, on this day. Oh. It was yeah. Thanksgiving Day last year. Me and the kids were out skiing. You know, so I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs>
2: so I'm really pumped about opening day. Um, so we do that a lot, and. Uh, I've been kind of into this quest uh it's a mountain thing too but my son moved to denver and so we've been trying to knock off one or two 14,000 foot peaks a year nice so i got we got two under the belt we did the tallest peak last this summer actually so um so now in spring we'll probably hit one and then in fall hit another so i'm trying to knock those off
1: knocking out all the 14ers yeah right on
2: yeah so that's kind of uh that's been a been a fun challenge, and
1: so you're a climber then, or are you just hitting the ones that you can hike up to, or just
2: the hiking ones. Yeah, we're doing we're kind of sticking away from the non technical ones, but I know if we want to get the get the list knocked out, we're going to have to do those too. And I used to climb when I was in college, but um, I'm not I'm a little rusty, so I don't know if I'm ready to jump back. I'm a little part. fat.
1: <laughs> are you Are you working your
0: way toward Everest?
2: No, no, that would be. Uh, I'm not going to pay that much money to go ahead and say climb the uh, the tallest mountain in
1: the world. And yeah. I hear
0: there's like people that died that are still there, oh, yeah. frozen. It's oh, yeah. creepy. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Creepy. Yeah. yeah.
1: I don't um, want to climb Everest. I don't want to go to the summit. I have no I no desire to put myself through that torture, but I would love to go to the base camp. I want I want to take that hike up to the base camp. I want to hang out with these people that are doing yeah. that. Yeah. The whole society, the the people culture. over there and to a podcast. culture. I wanna, I wanna, there I wanna you go. go it there. could
2: be a podcast location.
1: I have no desire to climb the <laughs> thing. I have no desire to go through the ice field or whatever they I, call it, the yeah. boulder field. I forget. I've watched so many documentaries on yeah. it, but I would just love to go over there. Yeah, we've had,
2: we've had a blast with these fourteeners, and and we did Mount Elbert. So that's uh, that's the tallest peak in Colorado and the tallest peak in the Rocky Mountains. So. And the second tallest peak in the whole continental U.S. So that was kind of fun. And uh, But it was, you know, you start out at night headlamps and you're you mm-hmm. you know you're starting your climb at 3 in the morning because you want to be down. You want to be at the summit and back down before midday because lightning storms can, can hit up there. So you want to kind of don't want to be caught up there during that. So you typically want to be up and down below the tree line before noon. So... Um, so it's fun. It's uh, it's something I can do with my son, and, yeah. and we we both kind of enjoy that, and it's a good challenge. But as I'm halfway up, I'm like, what am I doing? Because you know, every ten steps you're stopping and catching your breath, and then ten more steps, and.
0: But it's nice to just get away from the tech that you're always involved in, right? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Except there, you're, you're using your satellite
1: uplink, and so <laughs> you still got it. You just you can't escape got, it. Yeah,
2: yeah, right.
1: Yeah. I'm a I'm a bit of a backpacker, or. Not as much as I would like to, but I, I, I enjoy that a lot. Um, I'm setting my sights on doing the Appalachian Trail when I get a little closer to retirement. I Hopefully, I'm still in good enough shape to do that when I get there. I just can't take away six months of my life right now to go do that. Right. But, but I'm hoping when it gets closer to retirement, I'll still have the get up and go to do that. I've done a lot of other ones, um, the Superior Trail up in oh, Minnesota. Yeah. Right. and. Parts of the North Country Trail and most of the Ice Age Trail here in Wisconsin. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. I've done most of that. The road walks I've skipped because that just is boring. Yeah. But where the trail is completed, I've done all those parts. Right. So. Oh, that's awesome.
2: Yeah, that's kind of a cool tech, tech story because when we were doing this last hike at Mount Elbert, um, I had got the Garmin satellite tracker so I could share my route with Jennifer, my wife, and she could watch us as we cl- did the whole climb and kind of knew where we were along the road. That's kind of cool, you know? And, and I mean, even from a safety perspective, right? If something happened or I was like, geez, they stopped here and, and there's no movement now for the last X number of hours, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but it, it is kind of cool to share that experience of where you are with somebody who can't be there. So that was kind of cool.
0: It's like uh, on the Price is Right, the little guy that goes up the hill. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. With the song. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Anything else? I don't think so. Thanks for being here again, John.
2: Yeah. Well, hey, thanks for taking the time. I enjoy sitting down with you guys and um, looking forward to chatting again in the future. And I'm sure we'll have some more great news to share with how the Revate, 8 the codename Rev8 project goes. And uh, hopefully, I can report some more um, solid security stories in terms of about how we've been able to keep rail safe so
1: all right yeah well thank you guys for listening to another episode of keeping it rail keep the shiny side up and a dirty side down be safe out there you guys